Bags, the last time we did a show, I was lamenting uh, the Mike Soroka injury as a Braves fan. Right. Uh, now you get your opportunity with Marcus Stroman opting out. Look, it's it's a similar situation for me as the Cespedes thing. You know, just don't know what to believe with these guys. I'm starting to feel like guys are quitting on the Mets is what I'm starting to feel like, Chris. Okay, but, it, but at least – now, they are both going into a free agency period, but at least Strowman is currently injured, right? I mean, at least he's like currently trying to work his way back and he thinks it's already the middle of August. You know, there are unknowns out there. Do I want to push forward when I'm going to be a free agent this winter? I'll tell you what's known. The Mets stink. <laughs> Your Braves got handled last night. Oh. We got throttled. Yeah. I mean, we got destroyed last night, and I don't know, man. You know what's funny is heading into last night's game, the Mets at 7-9 and nine occupy the uh, tie for the last playoff spot because of how ridiculous the, the system is now. Um, so, so somehow maybe they're going to be competing because less than 500 or around 500 seems like it might be good enough, but they stink. I mean, come on. They stink. All right, following the Major League Baseball scene, he was in studio last night at ESPN giving the updates, uh, following it as closely as anybody. It's our guy Kevin Connors from ESPN, good enough to join us here this morning. Bags, he is fresh off five, six, seven days without power in yeah. Connecticut. Oh. Yep. And, and, and as we talked about, Chris, pre-show, uh, still no Wi-Fi and cable, which I don't – as we've also said, I don't expect anyone to feel sorry for me, but it's one of those things where you don't appreciate it until it's not there. And when you don't have power, man, in the middle of the summer with two little kids, it ain't easy. So, Kev, I was thinking about you yesterday, knowing we'd talk today, and I wondered to myself, what's more difficult to entertain or keep content to adults like you and your wife without power or to kids without power? It, it, there, there is. Let me just tell you something. Anyone who's watching who has kids knows the answer to this and knows how abundantly clear I'm about to be. It's not even close. All right. It may not even a, not even a conversation about how close it is. OK, because my wife and I could crack open a bottle of something and yep. entertain ourselves for the course of a day. Two little kids. You need to have things for them to do. So we figured it all out. And I don't want to come complain about anything but yeah life has its challenges man and 2020 has been it's, it's been like the 400 meter hurdles man one after another so you're up early with us this morning we really appreciate it. you're doing this on your phone for crying out loud so let's dive into it here uh I, i'm a braves fan bags has said he's a mets fan uh there are going to be an abundance of teams making the playoffs this year um what do you think though about the news this morning that Major League Baseball is considering a bubble idea in order to just get through the postseason potentially. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and and uh, kudos to the NBA. I mean, th think about the job the NBA has done, guys, you know, where it's this unbelievable task of getting 20 plus teams to converge upon this guy's house in Orlando <laughs> and and make it work. And, you know, there have been one or two or three instances where guys have gone and done stupid things but for the most part 
the NBA has been an unbelievably well-oiled machine. And these games have gone on and they've looked great on TV and, and they've been competitive. And we're now at the point where the playoffs are about to start. So it still is an early sample size, but the results are unbelievable. So I think Major League Baseball is looking at that and saying, you know, we've had several instances with multiple different teams where there's been some attrition. What if we get to the end of the road here and if mm -hmm. we're able to navigate it all and we can't pull off a postseason? So I wouldn't read into it like it's going to happen. I think it's an option that they want to have on the table. It's going to be really difficult. How do you do it? You know, you've got to have this quarantine period right before people can get into the bubble. So do we press pause on the season at the end of the regular season and take a week, two weeks off before the playoffs? There's so many obstacles, but I think it's one that they've got to entertain right now because the worst look for the league, the second worst look for the league would be to get to the end of the season and not be able to finish it. Yeah. I said this to Chris last week, you know, the NFL has a little bit of an advantage in that they just don't have to get as many games in as all these other leagues. But based on what you've seen from the different leagues so far, if you're the NFL sitting back watching this, what do you think is the best way for that league to move forward now? You know, Bags, it's, it's, that too is such a difficult conversation because though there are only 16 games, it's a long season. You know, it starts in the beginning of September and it, are you going to got, keep guys in a bubble for four months? I think, I think that was the issue that the Major League Baseball Players Union had. It's that they weren't opposed to a bubble in terms of everyone being in the same place to get these games done. It's that they didn't want to have these guys in this enclosed environment away from their families for so long. I think that was the biggest rub from the Players Union. Can the NFL do it? You know, boy, the NFL is a locomotive unlike any other league. I mean, they have jammed through everything so far with the exception of preseason games. Could you, could you realistically keep teams in a bubble from September through the beginning of February for two teams? That seems like a really tough task for me. And yet, if you want to get it done, you know, let's, let's think about it for a minute from the NFL's perspective. If they had the same results that Major League Baseball had, you can't make up multiple games in a week in the NFL. You can't do it. Major League Baseball, you can play two seven-inning doubleheaders, try to jam you know, six, seven games, eight games into a week. Can't do that in the NFL, period. So if there's attrition in the NFL, that's a major problem. I don't have the answer to it. If I did, I'd, be, I, I'd, be, I'd replace Dr. Fauci or I'd be a commissioner. But it seems like it's a really, really tough thing for the NFL to mull. Do you do a bubble and keep guys in, hope to keep guys inside for four months? Or do you try to do it the way baseball is and just pray for the best? You see him on SportsCenter. You see him on MLB. I always want to say baseball tonight. It's it's baseball coverage in some form in the studio as well as college football and basketball. So now flipping to the college football thing here, Kevin. Um, boy, I don't know. Does the announcement come today officially from the Big Ten? that the, the presidential vote was in fact 12 to two, the way we've been hearing is, is a power five conference really going to cancel or postpone football this fall. What are your thoughts on where college football stands and maybe the individual approach we've seen from each conference? Have the past 24 hours, Chris, been fascinating to watch? I mean, has there been more news with no official news <laughs> uh, being reported or, or coming out, you know, I mean, 
I think what you saw yesterday is precisely who runs these major colleges and universities. And it's not the presidents. It's the football programs and the football coaches. Uh, because if it weren't, there would have been an announcement already, okay? Um, I think what the Big Ten thought was going to happen was we're going to make this decision in the best interests of the student-athletes, which I do believe that these presidents have. I think the optics of young, non-professional student-athletes getting sick or potentially worse is the worst possible thing that could happen in any level of you know, whatever sport we're talking about. And yet at the same time, I think that the Big Ten said, we're going to make this decision. We're going to float it out there, leak it out there, and every other league is going to follow. And no other league followed. And there were whispers about the Pac-12, but nothing's come to fruition there yet. And then I think what you saw happening was some of these major college coaches speaking out and saying, we want to play. And then you get Trevor Lawrence, who is the mm -hmm. face of college football right now. And he's retweeted by the president of the United States. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, hang on a second here. Are we going to be the outliers in the Big Ten? There's obviously so much at stake, first and foremost, lives. But you can't discount the millions and billions of dollars that are at play here. And it's a fascinating conversation with, do we try to do this and try to reap the rewards financially with knowing that we're taking on a risk? Is that risk worth taking? And I think that, I think the Big Ten went about it in the most, coming from the best place possible. I think they thought other places were going to follow and they didn't. And so that's yeah. why we are where we are. You talk about all the money that's at stake and all the money that's involved in college football. It makes me wonder, you know, I saw Drew Rosenhaus on CNN yesterday, and one of the questions was asked of him is, should athletes, should college athletes be paid? And this, I guess, sort of brings that up again in, in, in a unique way. What are your thoughts on that? He called it the biggest hypocrisy in sports. Now, obviously, he's coming at it from his own perspective, which we all understand. Um, but what do you think about that? Bags, I'm going to I'm going to give you a lame answer and then I'm going to give you uh, a long answer. The lame answer is I don't know where I stand on it. I mean, I really see both sides of the argument. Here's the long answer. I'll make it as short as possible. These guys are being compensated with a scholarship to attend a school for four or five, in some cases, six years to get an education at some fantastic colleges and universities. They're being given the best possible food plan you could be on, accommodations, gear. They do see some financial benefits in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the the, uh, uh, the 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 attendance. You get you get a percentage of the, of the ticket sales and things like that. They also get stipends. They're not not being compensated at all. They they are getting some. Should it be more? That's up to the individual. I, I don't. I really don't. The only reason anyone's having a conversation about whether or not there should be college football in the fall is for money, because if we're looking at it from a what makes the most sense from a safety perspective, there's no way guys should be playing football given what's going on in the country right now. But there are billions and billions of dollars at stake. So, 
if we're accepting the premise that the reason that these guys are even entertaining playing football is for the financial benefit, we can't we can't well say that and then say, well, these guys shouldn't receive a penny for it when everyone else is getting fat. Now, I'm not I'm not advocating for players being paid because I've never heard anyone give me a a scenario that makes sense where it's equitable across the board. I'm just saying I really understand both sides of the argument. So, Kevin, at the end of the day, do you think we'll get college football this fall? I do. Now, I don't know that we'll see a national champion crown. We'll have a full bowl schedule like we've had. I think I think there will be an effort. I, I have thought all along it would only be the Power Five schools. I'm not convinced that it'll be every Power Five school. I just think that there is... I hate to be as callous as this, and I wish I had a more articulate way to say it. I think they will view it as a risk worth taking, given the amount of money that's at stake at the Power Five schools. And and guys, it's, you know, listen, it's not just the colleges and universities. It's, it's the companies that we work for with so much at stake. There's pressure from every side. There are, as we saw yesterday, there are political pressures in a presidential election year. This is happening. I think that there will be an effort to try it. I am, I'm hopeful as much as anybody that it gets done. I'm scared, frankly, about you know what what could happen. Um, I want to see college football. I want to see this country get back to where we were before this whole thing started. I just safety needs to be the number one concern. Period. End of story. I don't think it's callous at all, honestly. I think Andrew Brandt tweeted this out, Kevin, and he said, look, we're we're all adults. We get how much money goes along with not just professional sports, but collegiate sports like major division one football and basketball. So if we have the conversation as adults who already understand these things, we can be honest about maybe where it stands. So yeah, I, I think, I think we're all on the same page here that they're going to try to do it. How about Scott Frost yesterday going rogue at Nebraska? Like, all right, if the Big Ten doesn't want to play, we're going to find a place where we right. can play games. We're committed to playing football. And 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 Chris, and that and that's what's going to happen. I mean, if, you know, if the Big Ten, which they find themselves maybe is as much as any other conference in a unique situation where academics at certain schools is bigger than the football program. I I think that that's probably a fair thing to say that there are more schools in the Big Ten where that's the case. I don't mean to, uh, uh, you know, to to minimize that at other conferences, but that's probably, if we're being honest about it, that's Mm -hmm. the case. So I think you see some of those schools saying, whoa, hold on a minute here. Are we really going to go forward with this? And then I think you see other schools who say, you know what, football is the most important thing at this college and university, um, or as important as anything else. So, yeah, I listen, there is no question in my mind that if the Big Ten as a conference pulls the plug, that some schools will look to other conferences and say, hey, do you mind if we come along? And by the way, while we're on this subject, this is going to be a a completely transformative time. Like, don't be surprised if you see conferences crumble, athletic departments at some smaller schools um, dramatically change as we know it, if not go away altogether. Don't be surprised if you see the NCAA as we know it go away. I think anything could be on the table right now because 
if if a conference like the Big Ten says no and schools go somewhere else, what does that say about the conference in general? We don't need the conference. If the NCAA says we can't go ahead with this and schools do it anyway, which in the FBS level, the NCAA doesn't control decisions there. Um, uh, it's done by the conferences. Like, then why do we need the NCAA? So my point is this, without going into a whole crazy, uh, beautiful mind scenario here, don't be surprised if anything is on uh, is on the table right now because this is a crazy time. Sean, real quick question yeah. from one of our viewers here this morning right on this topic. Kevin, what do you think, with fans or without fans, college football? I can't see a scenario where stadiums are full. I think yeah. it's got to be let's dip our toe in at first with no fans. And if we get to November and things are going okay, maybe we allow – 20,000 in an 80,000 seat stadium. I just can't see a scenario guys where you've got full stands. It just, yeah. it, th there's no way. All right, I want to change gears just a little bit here and, and talk about the NBA and, and some of the, the action we've seen, the sports we do have and can talk about. Um, what have you seen from the bubble so far on the court? Has anything changed your opinion as we get closer to the playoffs, as you maybe had before all of this started, and who do you like as we now are, what, a week away or so from playoff action getting underway? It's a great question, Bags. I, you know, I think you've seen super competitive basketball, by and large. I think the NBA has been a model league in terms of, of, of putting this product out there having it look great. It pops on television, by the way, give some credit to the basketball tournament, which was, was the forebearer to the NBA bubble. And they did a great job and it really popped on TV. I think the NBA took a lot of cues from that, but by and large, this has gone off without too many hitches. And so I think it's, it's a tremendous credit to Adam Silver, who's such a good commissioner and to the league, which is, which is, you know, uh, is a, is a powerhouse obviously right now is popular. Um, more popular than any other league than the NFL, and it's gaining on the NFL. Uh, so from a competitive standpoint, I think what happened in my mind is you gave LeBron James four months off to rest <laughs> and get healthy. And I would have to stop and think if he at any point in his professional career, guys, has had this amount of time off. You know, whether or not it's been because his team has been in the playoffs and made deep playoff runs or he's been a part of Olympic teams where that's taken up a commitment on his part. So, again, this is a boring answer, but the best player in the world, in my mind, is still LeBron James. And he has a top 10 player on his team in Anthony Davis. And the fact that those guys were given time off to rest, get healthy, get their act together, have other have other guys join the team, you know, like Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith. Mm -hmm. complimentary pieces. I think the Lakers are the team to beat, despite the fact that Milwaukee is obviously really good and the Clippers are obviously really good. I want to see someone beat LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Shawnee, I think you're with me here. The team that has stood out to me, and probably just because I didn't watch enough of them when it was the actual regular season, is the Raptors. I mean, the way they've been playing and, and I'm just kind of reminded, like, oh, yeah, they. I know they don't have Kawhi, but they did win the title last year. Yeah, right. And they've got a coach that – who's Nick Nurse? Except he's the guy that won an NBA title, like you said, Chris, right. last year. And you know, they, they, they've got a great system there in Toronto. I just, you know, prove, prove me wrong. Uh, not that that's their mission, but I'm just saying in general, prove me wrong that Pascal Siakam – 
yeah. uh, in, in crunch time, who, by the way, by the way, that guy wasn't even on the radar for anybody, right? This is not a knock on Pascal Siakam. He's as much of a success story in the NBA as any player. Played yeah. in New Mexico State. No one had heard of this guy. And he blossomed into a player who's an NBA all-star and a champion. But with the entire weight of the franchise or the majority of it in the NBA playoffs on his shoulders, I'm not convinced that that he's going to be able to stand toe-to-toe with Giannis uh, or the Celtics. I really like the Celtics. They're the team that I picked to come out of the East before the restart. You know, I I, I know the Bucks are great, but boy, I, I love Brad Stevens as a coach. And that's a, a really talented team. And you get Kemba Walker healthy again and Jason Tatum. I think the Celtics are the team to beat in the East, but I but it's before Toronto for me. It's it's Boston, Milwaukee, and then Toronto in my mind. Okay, yeah, two points on that, Chris. If Toronto finds a way to win a championship after losing their best player from yeah. their championship season the year before, Nick Nurse would have to be the the coach of the century on that one. And also, how great would it be if we could somehow see Raptors, Clippers, NBA championship? But Kevin, I want to ask you about. Major League Baseball as well. Same question, really. You know, what have you seen? Any any big surprises for you? And in this shortened season, who are your favorites to get to the World Series? I'll answer the second part first. You know, again, look, the favorite, the Yankees and the Dodgers are the two most talented teams in baseball. And that's just a fact, you know. Um, it's, they are, you know, the Yankees have stumbled this past weekend, but boy, the, the, the missing ingredient for them, obviously, was Garrett Cole. And when you can hand the ball to a guy like that every fifth day and know that he is more than going to keep you in the game, it's a luxury that one or two or three other teams in baseball have. It's the bottom line. And with that lineup, that's a lethal combination. The Dodgers are unbelievable. And that bullpen got so much better, guys. That was that was the weakness of that team a year ago was the bullpen. And then they go out and they add a couple of arms, Blake Trinan among them, who was arguably the best closer in the American league over the past few years. So those are the, so that's the easy answer, right? Um, who's the Braves fan here? Is it, is it you, Chris? Yeah, That's me. Yep. Chris. I, I, I love the Braves. I mean, you know, with, you know, with Freeman and Albies and obviously Acuna who's been unbelievable in the month of August. Now you lose Soroka and that's a big deal. Uh, but maybe that lineup is capable of, of keeping you in it throughout. Here's the team. So let's, let's take hey, Kev way to go out on a ledge picking the Yankees and Dodgers and Braves. Right. But so let's, let's go take a chance on a team, the San Diego Padres. And you see it across sports where you get a guy who looks like he's going to be a generational player. And he's though his dad played in major league baseball, Fernando Tatis Jr. may not be smart enough or aware enough to know that as a 21-year-old, you shouldn't be quite this good quite this early. And I think that when you get a guy like that and he performs the way he's been performing, the rest of the team kind of rises to that level with him. So they've got a, they've got a young arm uh, in the rotation, a guy by the name of Denelson Lamette, who could be another one of those players who brings everyone with him. Um, they're a lot of fun to watch. So if you want to pick a team that maybe is, a, is has, a, has an outside shot, a little bit of a dark horse, it might be the Padres. So the Mets are not your dark horse. <laughs> right. We're, we're going to have to go through the stable a bit before we get to the Mets because, um, you know, I don't mean to, to, to stomp on your team here, but. No, do um, it. Please go it, ahead. It, it, 
it doesn't seem to happen to other teams with you know with the Cespedes stuff and 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 uh, the Strowmans. Now listen, I don't begrudge anybody in any sport for opting out because they don't feel like it's safe. That's your opinion, and if you want to do that. It's it's happened to my to our our Buffalo Bills right, and it hurts when you lose a guy, um, but that is their right at this time. I don't begrudge anyone for doing that. Should at least text the team though, right? You know, you might want to let them know, right? Yeah. On a road trip, you might want to let them know that guys, I don't plan on playing anymore. Don't, don't pencil me in the lineup tonight. Um, so it doesn't seem to happen to other teams, and that makes me say. There's a culture that exists there, and it's got to permeate from the ownership group. And you know, I know that there's obviously a lot of talk about there being a change, uh, that there will be a change. And until that happens, to me, you're going to get things like this with that organization. I like the Mets. I, I grew up, you know, a, a child in the 80s growing up on Long Island. I was captivated by the Mets 80, 80s Mets teams. But it's year after year and it's issue after issue that comes up with this team that other franchises don't seem to have. And in New York, it's unacceptable, period, end of story. When you have the resources of a team in New York and you have your own cable network, as the Mets do, that's unacceptable. But it continues to happen with them. We are burning through your data plan. Let's rip through a, a few here before we let you go, Kevin. Here's somebody who's contractually obligated to watch the show. This is my fiance, Ashley. Nice. When are the Yankees going to see Clint Frazier on a consistent basis? Yeah, a consistent basis is the key because I think you're going to see him tonight. Um, I don't know that the answer will ever be now at any point. You know, I, I, he's a he's a um, he's a tantalizing talent because mm. he can flash it at times, and you say, "Wow, this guy!" But they've got a right fielder that they're going to lock up long-term, uh, whenever his time comes. They've got a guy who plays left field in DH who they can't move if they would try. They've got Aaron Hicks in center who's locked up. They've made a commitment to Brett Gardner for at least, I think, through next year. And Mike Talkman has played really, really well. And he's better defensively, at least, than Frazier and maybe better offensively. Now, Frazier has that bat that there are times where you're like, wow. I love this guy, and I'm the president of the Clint Frazier fan club. I want to see him. I don't see a spot where he's a regular, and I think at some point the player is going to say, hey, guys, let's you know water get off the pot here, and if I don't fit into your plans, let me go somewhere that I do. And other teams, by the way, are going to notice that too. So I wish there were an answer long term. I don't know that there's going to be one. All right. I think it's Panera Bags that has the pick two. We're, yeah. we're a low-budget show, so we're going pick one. You only get to pick one, Kevin. Okay. Uh, pick one rule that stays in Major League Baseball. Do you want the universal DH, that awful international runner rule at second, or the Little League seven-inning doubleheader? Chris, I'm, I'm, going to, um, I'm going to threaten uh, a future invitation back, evidently. I, <laughs> I, want, I want all three. I am as progressive – as it gets with all this stuff. And I want to let you know I'm a traditionalist. In life, I'm a traditionalist. As it relates to Major League Baseball, I am pro all of these things. Wow. We ha I, and I couldn't be more passionate about this right now. We have got to get these games over with. It just takes too goddamn long to play these games. Seven-inning doubleheaders have been great to me. I, I think we got to get to a point where every game is seven innings. 
I think start a guy on second day. I don't want to see a 14-inning game in, in May, okay? I don't want to see it. Let's get going here. We can do this. Baseball needs to evolve or you're going to lose the young fan. And that doesn't benefit anybody. I don't want to be an old man sitting on the couch saying, in my day, baseball was a popular sport. I think you got to do all these things. Give me the seven inning rule. I don't want to see pitchers hit. I don't, I don't want to see a pitcher get up there and strike out on three pitches. There are three or four guys that can hit. Beyond that, it's, it's, it's an automatic out. It's not fun. I don't buy, I don't buy the, their strategy involved. It, that's not strong enough for me. If you can't tell, I'm passionate about this. Give me the seven inning games. Give me the guy on second base or a tie. You can have ties in baseball. We have it in other sports. You have it in hockey. You have it in the NFL. Ties are okay in regular season games. And, and give, me, give me the universal DH. I am pro all of those things. And I love baseball. Do you see there being any other way not listed here to speed up the game that's currently not happening that you would like to see implemented? You know what? Do we need to have a guy who's been warming up in the bullpen for 10 minutes come out on the mound and throw 10 more pitches? Let's go. Agreed. Let, let's figure out a way to streamline that. You know, you don't want to have the, 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 the pitch clock. I know that there's sort of a pitch clock in baseball, you know, whether it's a guy can step out of the box X number of times. Do you need to adjust your batting glove after a pitch that you took? Nothing happened. You didn't swing the bat. So, there, yes. And by the way, these are all things where people say, well, what's the big – what does that take, two minutes? Well, you know what? There were 12 pitchers used in the Rays-Red Sox game last night. Oof. So two minutes for each pitcher coming in from the bullpen after he walks in and throws 10 warm-up pitches. If that's two minutes – I just saved you 20 minutes right there, 20 minutes. Okay, so 20 minutes over the course of a three-hour and 20-minute game is a big deal. Or over a three-hour game, now you played in two and a half hours. There are little things that you can do that these, these purists or the sabermetric people who are trying to preserve the sanctity of the game, which there's not going to be a game if you keep losing young fans. So I think that there are definitely ways you can go about it and keep baseball and all the great things that we like about it, but speed it up a little bit. And by the way, it's not exclusive to baseball. College football, you've got to speed it up a little bit. It has, you know, so it's not just baseball. Other sports, you can't have three-and-a-half-hour games. That's asking too much. Bags and I are with you big time on the on the reliever coming in and having to throw again on the mound. The one the one thing we bang on baseball all the time, although if when it goes away, we'll be sorry because we like to laugh about it every time, is this. Got to get the headsets out. Come look at the replay on the field. Ooh, put somebody upstairs. They buzz down to one of the, the crew chief. Okay, he's out. He's safe. Moving on. Well, why do we have right. to go look at this thing? There's somebody else who can look at it. It's another great point. You're right. I guess it's a crew chief thing where, you know, but you're right. Listen, is it, might it, might it be unpopular at first? Possibly because it's, because it's new and different, but like, Remember when we had overtime in college football and we put the ball on the 25-yard line and people said, no, we can't do this. Is anyone really saying that anymore? Or do we just sort of say, all right, that's how we're doing it. And, right. and, and games get done faster. Or remember when it used to be you could play 40 overtimes in college football because everyone just kept kicking the extra point. And then we said, no, after two, you got to go for two. Guys, you've got to finish these games. It's we all of us here, and I'm assuming anyone that's watching loves sports. We all love sports. 
but you can't hold me hostage all day because I got stuff to do. So yeah. let's play these games, get them over with, and it's a win. It's I promise you it'll take some getting used to. Here's another one for you. Garrett Cole pitched four and two-third innings the other day for the Yankees. Didn't pitch five to get the win, right? And I know no one cares about wins anymore, but the game was only a seven-inning game. Why do you have to pitch five innings in a seven-inning game if you got to pitch five innings in a nine-inning game? Just another thought. All right, so pick one here, Kevin. Pick one to start your team. Going after your beloved Yankees, Aaron Judge, Fernando Tatis Jr., who you've already talked about, Juan Soto, or Ronald Acuna Jr.? Juan Soto. That was easy. Wow. Why him over the others? What's that, Shawnee? I think he is a uh, – I think he is a – not that the others aren't supreme talents. I think you will see in time that that guy is the – I don't know that he'll get to the level of Mike Trout, but I think that we will include him in the conversation. How's that? Okay. Uh, I know you're a big boxing guy too. Bags and I did a, a fun video with one of the, one of the ESPN's top ranked guys, Abraham Supernova. Uh, I don't know how aware you are of him, but he's coming on the scene. He's got ESPN fights. Uh, his most recent ESPN fight was in June. He, I believe we'll fight, he'll fight again in October uh, on your platform too. Pick one fight you get to watch. Do you want Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. or Fury Wilder 3? How about uh, Reagan Connors versus Liam Connors one? Okay. <laughs> my my kids. I'd rather watch that than either one of those. Wow. Fury Wilder, I wasn't interested in, in the second uh, uh, iteration of it. I'm not interested in seeing those guys again. I'm, I'm just not. I think, you know, I think they're both entertaining. Wilder can hit home runs, but he's not a boxer. And Fury, I don't know what Fury is, um, uh, so I could care less about that. I really could care less about that. And I love boxing. Used to be a part of our top rank coverage. I, I'm not interested in seeing that fight, and I'm really not interested in seeing Mike Tyson, Roy Jones. At some point, someone should be concerned with the safety of these guys. Yeah. Um, so, so I'll, how about this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go really low budget. Neither. <laughs> well, you you just saved yourself a hundred bucks. You don't have to order any of those. <laughs> I'm not dumb enough to order them, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Kevin, before we let you go, I, I want to ask you. And bags, we buried the lead here. Kevin is is one of the all time great Ithaca College alums to come out of the Roy H. Park School of Communications. <laughs> Had to throw that in there, of course. But your brother's got a, a new book out, Chris Connor, yeah. yeah. and it's called The Emotional Intelligence for the modern leader. Uh, I'm going to read this book because I've seen you tweet about it and, and throw stuff up on Facebook about it too. Tell us a little bit about your bro's book. It's so nice of you to bring up Chris. Yeah. You know, he's um, it's his second book. He had written a, another one, the value of you, which is really sort of a, you know, a self-help book. And they're both, they're, they're both super digestible. They're, they're, they're really, um, sensical for for individuals and obviously at this time you know it's it's important to be able to know how to lead your family let alone you know in, in a professional setting so both of his books are are really helpful again they're not they're not clinical they're sort of he uses a lot of great um examples many from the world of sports about mm. you know leadership and, and and how to conduct yourself you know as a, a well-rounded individual um i'm super proud of him for being a two-time author i mean 
I'm not trying to be funny here. Outside of his books, I don't know that the last time that I've read two books, and he's written two. So yeah, it's 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 been great. He's he's had some, you know, he we he grew up and was really good friends with Amy Schumer. Like Amy Schumer used to call my house and be like, "Is Chris there?" And I'd I'd be busting his chops and be like, "Hey, it's your girlfriend Amy." And now she's a freaking A-list Hollywood celebrity. Uh, so he's spoken with her, and he's got some great examples from her in the book. Brad Stevens, funny enough, the Celtics coach as well. So they're really, really helpful books. They're light reading. They're not heavy clinical stuff. I would encourage anyone, and I really appreciate you bringing that up, um, to, to, give them, to give them a good read because I think that you'll find that they are pertinent to just about everybody's life, and they're, they're the kind of thing that you can pick up before you go to bed, read a little bit, and say, yeah, you know what, maybe I can apply some of these things to my life and, and make me a better person. He's written two books. The three of us are happy when we write a 30-second script. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, point. we appreciate the time so much, man. Sean, are you good? I'm good. Thank you. I'm, I was just going to say it's nice to have an Ithaca grad on the program. Who knows what the heck they're talking about. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we try to do. Let's get a little expertise, right? Somebody who really flourished post-college. Kevin, thank uh, you, man, so much. Guys, thank you so much for having me on. Let's do it again soon. Hey, be safe. You too. Thank you, guys. Kevin yeah. Connors from ESPN with us, Shawnee. That was fun, man. He's <clears throat> just such a good guy. And, you know, when when we get into the depth of the NFL season, hopefully we do get there. We'll have Kevin back on. He's a huge build fan. <clears throat> One thing I always say to him, too, is, I appreciate that even with his national platform, right? Like he stills, he still lets the the team colors show through. Follow him on Twitter uh, at Kevin Connor at Kev Connors ESPN, and and you'll learn quickly. He's a Yankees fan. He's a diehard Bills fan. Big Syracuse fan. Um, he's still a fan the way many of us are. He is, and he's got he's got a deep knowledge on multiple sports, right? A lot of guests we have, they specialize in one area and that's their thing. But, you know, it's nice to be able to talk to him because he, he knows it all for everything. So that's great. Dude, how about, how about this? I mean, I'm going to throw this back up here. He wants them all. He'll yeah. All three of them. Look. Have you come around to any of these? Um, I no. have. No, I... First of all, the universal DH makes the game take longer. So that's counterproductive to – and I know that's not why it's there. It's not there to shorten the game. But that is counterproductive to what we see as the biggest issue, which is the games take too long. Also, the pitchers have to be able to do more. If you're on the field, to me, go out there and be able to hold the bat, do something, be able to do something – and I think it, it does play into strategy to some degree. <clears throat> Don't like the runner starting. Just, like, can we just play the game? I, mm -hmm. Actually, I was okay. I'm, I'd be more okay with a tie than I am with this because this to me just changes it too much. Now, I don't want a tie. I'm not advocating for a tie. But you would say what? Tie after 13 innings as opposed to start an inning with a guy at second? Yeah, and I'd even stretch it out. I might even say 14. Okay. So, you know, just so we don't keep going beyond that or extend a bullpen. I like a nice long extra inning game sometimes. Um, I don't want it to take six hours, but the number of innings don't necessarily bother me. It's right. how long it takes to get through those innings. Um, so that one, I think, changes the game too much. It's fair because both teams obviously get that advantage, 
But yeah, the fact that you can start an inning with a two-run shot, I just it it doesn't register for me, you know. Um, and the seven-inning doubleheaders just go play nine, right? You're talking about saving four innings uh, over the course of a day. Pandemic season, 60-game year, everything's messy anyway. I'm more okay with it. And I, I really don't see that one extending uh, beyond this year. So I'm okay with it for this season, but I don't like that either. The one I've come around to, and my brother's weighing in here, he says he'll take two out of three. I'm not sure which one he's leaving off the table. But the one that I've come around to, is in fact the one I thought I'd hate the most, and that's the universal DH. It, you know, look, in an age where everybody wants more offense, this promotes that. What, what I hate is that it also promotes the idea of the zero outcome at bats, which is a walk, a strikeout, um, because you get too many guys in the lineup who are just obsessed with hitting the home run. Now, if you're a Braves fan the way I am, the difference between our ninth hitter this year, which a lot of times has been Ender and Ciarte, who's a gold glove center fielder and a pitcher, is is minimal. Uh, you know, he's doing just about as much as a pitcher would at this point. But but I, I'm coming around to the net because I know it's going to be here to stay. That one is here to stay. I'm yep. with you. I don't think the international runner rule sticks around or the seven-inning doubleheader. But – if you said to me, seven inning doubleheader is going to stay, I'll live with it. The idea that every game in the future is going to be seven innings at some point, the way Kevin Connors alluded to, that like that would be good for the sport. That one I have a really hard time embracing. No, I mean, the main issue here was we just have to figure out ways to get through the nine inning games a lot faster. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have to, to shorten them to seven and make the seven innings you know individually take just as long. Uh, you know, the inning wise, no, just find a way. We, we talked about the things you get. First of all, they don't really enforce pitch clock and that stuff. Um, mound visits are another thing to me, ridiculous, right? The catcher can go out if they need to get together on the signs. I don't need the pitching coach trotting out there, right? You don't see, you don't see Belichick, you know, going into the huddle because it's it's a bigger spot in the game, and now he's got to talk to the guys. Like, I, but just do what every other sport does: create timeouts. Yeah, you get give, one a, game. give a baseball manager two timeouts yeah. per game, right? Right. Well, one. But <laughs> but yeah, the all these rules. The, the the universal DH. I think my main hang up too is that it takes away from from what I think the game is missing most right now. And that's the small ball, right? It, we're going away from that too much. We talked about it with Brian Kenny. We have way too many at-bats in baseball where it is just strikeout or home run. We need to see the ball put in play more. But a big part of that, too, I, I want to see bunts. I want to see guys getting moved over. I want to see hit and runs. Um, and, and, you know, universal DH, it just feeds more into that, like you said, going for that extra base hit instead of playing the small ball. Listen, I'm with you. Unfortunately, we are a dying breed when it comes to the bunt and, and hit and run and all that stuff. My brother says, want to make it interesting with the international runner rule? Just put the starting pitcher out there. Perfect. <laughs> that I like. That I can get on board with. Yeah, that's that's how you get some of these guys injured. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, Bags, you'll watch Tyson Roy Jones Jr. with me, won't you? Of course. Come on, we got to do this. Mike Real Tyson. Quick. I mean, yeah. Mike Tyson in a box. Yeah, let's go. It's as dumb as it is. Let's go. I got to see that. 
Before we get to our next guest locally, Eric McDowell, who was the sports information director at Union College for a while, now has his own uh, PR firm ad agency and has created this really cool thing called the Capital District Sports Women of the Year. Shawnee, how about the Phoenix Suns, man? I mean, I know we're talking a lot about the Western Conference and the NBA here, but Phoenix, since entering the bubble, I think they're a game out of that last playoff spot, vying with both uh, Memphis and Portland is right there as well. Yeah, look, they're they're a, a nice, young, talented team. Um you know, don't don't sleep on Brooklyn here. They played very well in the bubble, um, but they obviously are missing their major pieces that you would need in the playoffs. And when I look at Phoenix, while they do have some big star power as well, I feel like when push comes to shove. So here's what I thought heading into the bubble initially. I thought, boy, if guys don't take this seriously or if maybe one or two players, key players wind up missing time because there's an issue with coronavirus or something else or guys opt out. We've seen none of that, right? It looks like the playoffs we're going to get are legitimate. So that, that being said, I would be shocked if a surprise team like Phoenix actually made any big ground, if they, you know, find their way in and then could they pull off that big upset? I just don't see it happening Guys are taking this seriously. But I will give, if Portland gets the eight seed, I'll give them a puncher's chance with Willard and McCollum, the way they can make shots. And then I know you're going to say, well, who Anthony Davis? Yusuf Nurkic is a player that a lot of people don't know, but no, he's a really good big in the NBA. They didn't have him last year in the postseason. He was injured. When he's healthy, he's a difference maker for them. I, I'm not saying that Portland's going to upset the Lakers, but I would give them a, I would give them a puncher's chance. Well, I like I like their you know they would they have some playoff experience. Lillard we know is a guy who you can give the ball to in a huge spot and expect big things. He's a playoff type of player. He's a clutch guy. He can go out there and win you a game. Carry. Can they beat a team like the Lakers four times? You know, are, are the Clippers going to lose four times in a first round series? I just don't see it happening with those top teams in the East or the West. I mean, I think you're more likely to see, believe it or not, a team like Toronto or or Boston maybe get upset. But no, these top teams really in both conferences, they're going to be in there, you know, through the conference championship. And I think we're really going to get a a really good NBA playoffs. I'm really happy with what I've seen in the bubble. Um, You know, the hashtag whole new game. Well, it's not a whole new game in terms of the scoring. <laughs> that's, that's the there. It's not a whole new game in terms of defense. Uh, but like we've talked about, when the playoffs start, that generally changes, and I think we're going to see the same thing in the bubble. Yeah, NHL postseason, by the way, tonight. Uh, I can't wait for the NBA playoffs, man. I'm going to be glued more so this year. I can already feel it more so this year. Than, uh, than in the past. All right, let's get to our next guest. And Beggs, you're going to love this story about Eric McDowell, who I got to know really well over the years when Union College hockey was at the Frozen Four, playing for a national championship. Such a really, really good guy. Great at his job and now doing his own thing here. But Beggs, the most interesting thing about Eric McDowell, and Eric, I'm going to make you tell the story as you pop on here, is that Eric was working for the Golden State Warriors 
when the Latrell Sprewell PJ Carlesimo scuffle uh, happened. Sure. Here's Eric McDowell, who uh, now heads up the Capital District Fourth Women of the Year and the Eric Idea Agency. Eric, man, it's good to see you, buddy. How are you? Good to see you, Chris. Thanks for all you're doing. Glad that you went from having to do news and now you're back with all the sports <laughs> going on. And Sean, uh, tremendous job. The last time I saw a hit and run, I had a hit and run in Little League where I got a hit and then I ran to the ice cream truck. We haven't seen it since then, have we? No. Dying breed. You're a huge baseball guy, too. I know that. Um, enlighten Sean a little bit, Eric, quickly here about the damage control you had to do when it was Spreewell and PJ. Uh, I happened to be the uh, media relations director for the Golden State Warriors and really had a great college job. And, and the first week I missed college athletics, specifically women's athletics and how hard they work. But uh, it was a fun year to travel, Muggsy Bogues, uh, uh, just a class act, you know, the type of guy that you could visit with all the time. And uh, one of the highlights, many, but I would say watching Mark Price take free throws, mm. I just watch and I'd say, he'd say, are you enjoying this? I said, yeah, it's like watching Van Gogh paint. You're the best ever. <laughs> you know, why not? Uh, but it was a tough year. Spree and PJ didn't hit it off. We knew that from the start. And then when uh, the incident of the choking, the objective was to protect the franchise and the coach which I think we did with our staff. Uh, but it was night and day. Everywhere we went, I'd read a statement. And I'd say, let's talk about the game, okay? Mm -hmm. We've had enough of this. Uh, but keep in mind, it was before Twitter, before Facebook. So just imagine now, uh, I don't think we would have been able to do the job we did then by protecting, keeping things under wraps, doing you know official announcements, nobody getting a scoop, et cetera. We wouldn't be able to do that now. So uh, I have memories of that here in the man cave and the wall, and I've been in touch with PJ over the years a little bit, but uh, I don't miss the pros. And Chris, you know, college is where my heart has always been, and that's what has led me to uh, trying to uh, create CD Soy as well. Yeah, we had a lot of fun uh, around the union scene, and we <laughs> had you on here today, Eric, to talk about the Capital District Sports Women of the year. Your banquet's coming up on August 18th. Obviously, 2020 has thrown every plan for a loop. You've adjusted here. I know you haven't even gotten the opportunity to recognize as many women as you would in the area, the same way we do at News Channel 13 with our Athlete of the Week. Um, but you still have um, a bunch of terrific female athletes, high school and college, coming together in a responsible way on August 18th. It's the inaugural one, so congratulations for all you've done so far. Thank you, Chris. We came up with this thought about two years ago when I started the Eric Idea Agency. I do public relations work and event management. Uh, talked to my wife, talked to a couple uh, media friends, uh, and really thought this is something that the timing is great. And especially now this year, think about all these young ladies. We're honoring 10 high school, and we're honoring three college from the Capital District. And... They've had no prom. They've had no athletic awards banquet or year-end event. Of course, the graduations were at drive-ins. You know, thank gosh for that. Mm. But the point is, is that there had to be a way to make this happen. Uh, we were scheduled in May to be at Proctor's. I wanted a gala. I wanted to have singing and dancing and make it a show <laughs> and uh, make sure that it didn't end at midnight with Ellen yelling at the audience. So it was important to do it right. But unfortunately, you know, Proctor's uh, such a tough year for the entertainment industry. Um, 
and I love the folks there. And they told me, we just can't do it. We can't do it at the GE. So that is when I contacted the Desmond, one of the finest hotel conference centers in the Northeast, as far as I'm concerned. And we will follow it. We'll do it right. We'll have our 50 cap people with the media, as well as each of the students and two guests. So um, I was determined that this thing would be pulled off. Sponsorships obviously were difficult, but this is about these young ladies, guys, and the attention they're going to get and that they deserve. And I honestly haven't been this excited for quite some time in a week from tonight. Uh, we're going to see them up there with their smiles through the mask. Let's put it that way. Right. Can you talk about some of the women who will, who will be featured, who will be honored, and, and some of their accomplishments? Well, as Chris knows, I'm a numbers guy, so let me throw some numbers at you. Eight of the ten high school kids, okay, uh, have played multi-sports, as you guys know. And, in fact, four of them play three sports. So tack that on with all their academic success, ranked in the top five, 99 average, all the community service they do. You wonder, as I said to one of them, you know there's 24 hours in a day. What do you sleep, about half, 45 minutes? How do you do this? So another number is we have three valedictorians out of the high school kids. So on top of all the sports in the community, they're valedictorians. So they're pretty darn good in the classroom too. It's remarkable. And of course, the biggest number, Chris, of course, we had four Channel 13 All-Stars, <laughs> including Rachel Winnock, uh, who was your first one last fall. So of our 10 high school, four of them uh, had features on uh, News Channel 13 for the All-Stars. And thanks to you and, of course, Roger putting together and Ashley for your interviews. You had done the interview with Rachel, in fact. And uh, I think the tough part was that I was going to visit each campus and meet each uh, student in March. Mm. I got to meet Rachel in Galway, Rachel Lanuck. It was awesome. Uh, we had to cancel the ones Thursday. And then, of course, after that, schools were closed. So we've been in touch with all of them. Uh, I did meet Amelia Canetto of Takana Kills last week and presented the award in a little video with her because she had to head to Coastal Carolina uh, to start her college career. So uh, although we haven't met them, we feel like we know them very well because of all the accomplishments they've done. And uh, we need a smile, guys. We all do. Everybody's worn out. Everybody's zoomed out. But the fact is they have done so much. They're still smiling. They're still proud. It's an incredible story, and it's an honor that we could pull this off and give them a chance to have the night of their lives. That's the way we look at it. Eric, there's been um, a swell of support here recently, especially from NBA players with the WNBA sweatshirt, right? That, that orange sweatshirt that we saw Kobe wearing so many times, and now the WNBA is, is in season. Where are we? in women's athletics, professionally, collegiately? Where do you feel like we are from maybe 10 years ago? And, and how much farther do we need to go? Well, I date myself, Chris, but when I was a freshman at the University of New Haven, the NCAA did not uh, have any championships for women's sports. It was called the AIAW, Americanist. Uh, it, it was a national organization for women's sports. We had at our press conference for C.D. Swoy, we had a woman who, who played softball in college and had to wear leftover uniforms from the men. Hmm. The fact that we are disgusted by all of this and think it's remarkable that these things happen, that's a great sign. And I've been able to see some WNBA performances through the time of the NBA and also the opportunities they get. I think one of the, obviously, Billie Jean King and what she did 
the Bobby Riggs thing was a bit of a show, but no, mm. it, it made a statement. And she's been there from the beginning with Title IX. Uh, the guest speaker we'll have uh, from the University of Texas, Chris Plonsky, is one of the top athletic administrators in the country. And she was an athlete during Title IX when it started. Obviously, to one of the most important uh, points was Mia Hamm and her teammates in the women's soccer team, uh, what they accomplished at the Olympics and the World Cup. They've taken it to another level. But there's no question, Chris, that the young ladies that perform now, I think deep down, they understand they're at a great time. They have the opportunities, many more chances. I was excited the first time I went to an NCAA championship women's event and saw the banners that the boys had and that the guys had. It was time. And I've always been an advocate of women's sports from uh, Erica Eisenhut getting her Woman of the Year uh, nomination for the NCAA at Union. And when we went to Ohio State and she won what was called the Woody Hayes Award, uh, Amy Lawyer, as you remember, we had at the Women's Final Four in Nashville, uh, one of only two Division Three players on the court, and here yep. she is. And her coach, Mary Ellen Burt, was a little girl out there, too, like this. <laughs> and here they are on a court with Purdue, Vanderbilt, Ohio State. Uh, I've always had the passion, and it was an emotional thing. So I think I've been fortunate that I've had a front row seat in many ways to see how women's sports has grown and how they conduct themselves and how they appreciate everything. And that's all the way from a Division three school at the NCAA to the to Division one and the pro sports. So, And credit to you, Chris, and the folks in the media who have taken it to that level and have featured these young ladies, not just locally, but nationally. And now girls like my daughter, Sarah, can walk into that room and look up to them and they're heroes. And that's because of you with the media, because of Billie Jean, and because of that soccer team, among many others. Well, I appreciate that, but uh, small, small part. Here's the best athlete in the Honorado family. My cousin <laughs> Jeff loves the man cave, Eric. Uh, holds all <laughs> kinds of records at Lehigh for his baseball days um, and was painfully close to that 1984 Team USA uh, baseball team, but uh, loving the man cave there. Eric, good luck on the 18th, man. I, I can't wait to cover this event next year when it will be at what it should be its height and uh, and fleshed out the way it, it, it should be but kudos to you for all you've done here to highlight uh the young women in the capital region uh for all they've accomplished not just on the field and in sports but also obviously in the classroom as you mentioned some of their academic accolades um and we're looking forward to the 18th because i know media will still be a part of it a little bit but Next year, I know you'll blow it out the way it should be done. Well, if you have one second, Sean, I'll show you a very quick photo, if I may. We'll sure. be right back. Yeah, go ahead. He's coming back. Hang on. He's, no, he's gone. He's gone. All right. What's there behind him? Yeah, so let's check out the man cave. Can you make it full screen again? Yeah, sure. All right. Oh, he's back. Oh, there, oh, there it is. is. How about this? So there's PJ there. Yeah, that was uh, PJ on draft day with a Donald foil. And that's when yeah. Eric had hair and PJ had a beard. <laughs> Neither of those people have those anymore. But guys, thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you, Chris, next week. Sean, keep up the great work and uh, appreciate your time and support of the program. Of course. Thank you, Eric. And I know Eric watches the program. We appreciate him, uh, him doing that, supporting us here as well. Really, really cool thing he's doing. Uh, in the capital region for uh, youth, well, high school and collegiate sports for uh, for women. Um, thanks, Bruins, Bruins banner, by the way, in the man. Yeah. yeah, big Boston guy. Yeah. Um, 
you said it, we're a week away from the NBA playoffs and uh, cannot wait for that to get rolling here. Are you, when did you give up on the Mets game last night? Because I'll tell you, as a Braves fan, I was getting ready to go up to Saratoga to do my Monday trivia night. The Braves game started at six. I didn't even have a chance to flip it on. It was three nothing in the first. And I thought, well, this isn't going to go our way. Well, you know, I never really give up. It begs, uh, it was 16 to three. Listen, when it got to like 12, I started thinking, I don't think we're going to come back. Uh, no, honestly, when it was, when it was five, nothing, right. It was three to nothing. And then a runner reached on a strikeout and then there was a two run home run to make it five. I said, well, if guys are going to reach on strikeouts, and then come in on home runs, probably not going to be our night. Yeah. And Steven yeah. Matz, look, he's got it. So, I don't want to talk about the Matz. I'm done. I'm done, right? Center guard's out. Stroman not coming back. DeGrom can't pitch every game. If Matz isn't going to be any good, Porcello and Waka, I'm kind of like, so, yeah, they're just not going to have enough. They're not going to have enough this season. It's unfortunate. 60 games, I can't even find a way to get through it. But Kevin Connor said it, man. Stuff just doesn't happen to other franchises. Yeah. It happens to the Mets. I'm checking here just before we, we sign off. Um, UMass has canceled football for this season. Um, we're waiting to see what happens with the Big Ten. Uh, what do you think, Shawnee? Are we going to get major Division One college football this fall? I think we're going to get something. The SEC, maybe the ACC, some of the Southern schools. Yeah, I think we're going to get some form of powerhouse college football without fans. I'll leave it at that because I don't know what else it could be, but I think there'll be something in some form. Kevin Connor said, awful lot of money at stake. Yeah. And futures, these schools' futures are at stake in a lot of ways when you factor in that money. So it just feels like they're going to have to come up with something, right? And and the fact that professional sports are being played in a variety of different ways, they're going to try to adapt some version of what we're seeing to their game and get some kind of season played. That's what I believe. Yeah, I'm with you too. No fans, but I, I think we'll get college football in, in some form this fall. All right, Shawnee, be good, man. Uh, back at it next week. Um, another former U.S. soccer star will join the show on Tuesday. We're going to load up next week with some guests as we get into the NBA playoffs, especially uh, the NHL, Stanley Cup, postseason two. We'll load things up next week for you guys. Thanks for watching, everybody, on Honorado and Bagnardi, Facebook and Twitter each and every week. See you, Shawnee. See you, man.